Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And so, usually we start out with looking a little bit at the news and see what's in the news. And of course, uh, the last week or so, there's been a lot of things going on in the United States. And actually, there's probably things going on all over the world in people's lives that make them absolutely oblivious to anything going on in the United States. <laughs> but... Uh, to the to where you're at, what's going on where you're at seems always more important than something going on, you know, hundreds or maybe thousands of miles away. What's going on inside your heart is probably more important than what's going on outside in the rest of the world. Because whether you're going to be happy or righteous or evil or iniquitous, depends upon what's going on in your heart. And we're going to talk a little bit about that before we're done today. But like I said, we're going to talk about what's in the news. And I mentioned on a minister's call with the other ministers around around the planet that it, there was a story that came out a couple of years ago in Kenya. And there was um, 500,000 girls in Kenya that were permanently sterilized. They're not going to ever have children. And get married, all that other stuff, but they're not going to have children because they received a tetanus vaccination uh, that was laced with a hormone HCG, which produces an antigen which causes permanent sterility. And this was discovered originally by a Catholic Health Commission who were beginning to believe that this was the case, and they passed this on to a reporter, Christina England. And she broke the news a while ago. But uh, there still is an ongoing thing. They don't really know how many people have been sterilized. You have to do all kinds of testing. But it's just amazing that, you know, half a million young girls in one country alone were sterilized because they received the tetanus vaccination. And so it's an amazing idea of injecting toxins into your body to make you healthy. And yet, uh, people do it. People actually fight for the opportunity. And people actually fight to force other people to get the vaccination. And we've talked about this before. It's because of the fact that they want to believe that the vaccination is their salvation. It will save them from the dreaded whatever disease that is wandering around. That's one of the other things that we're up in the news today was, again, they referred to this... uh, this uh, coronavirus going around, and there's a lot of different kinds of coronavirus, and this one's, there's a new one going around. And uh, I looked at the infection rates and death rates with this virus, and it's actually way below most of the coronatype viruses and other viruses that have come around since all the way back to 1970. It was like a 2.5% death rate. That's very, very small considering the fact that some of those people who get the coronavirus, or at least that we know get the coronavirus, it might be, you know, 90-year-old people in the hospital whose immune systems are already compromised and, you know, they're, it pushes them over the edge, but which is terrible, it's a horrible thing. 
but it's not that much more infection. It's uh, infectious. It's not going to plague everybody. It, it's a disease. And when I say we only know so many people, so many thousand people who have gotten the coronavirus because you have to check because the symptoms are just cold symptoms at first. Lots of people get a cold. Some people it lasts a day. Some people the symptoms will last, you know, maybe 48 hours or 72 hours. Sometimes it drags on. Sometimes there's complications because besides the virus, maybe they also get a bacterial infection. Who knows? It might be some of the symptoms are caused by the medicines they try to take to make them better. But the reality is, is that these, uh, some people get this virus, get immune, and they almost don't show any symptoms. Or they may show symptoms for just a few hours. And then the symptoms go away. They're still, their body's still fighting off the virus. But they don't show any symptoms because their immune system is so robust. We have no idea how many people ha- have done that with the coronavirus. We, we've found out with the polio virus that came out many years ago that 95% of the people who got polio never showed any symptoms. That's what the CDC says. So that meant 95%, if you got, if you got five people that got polio, and actually showed some symptoms, no debilitating effect, just just some symptoms, so that you realize that they were sick. There was another 95 people that got polio and a lifetime immunity, and they never showed any symptoms. That's better than the vaccine. <laughs> the vaccine doesn't have that good a percentage rate for giving you vac- uh, you know, uh, immunity. And the vaccine immunity is, you know, they all admitted it's temporary. Some, some are only last two, three years. Some may last five years. That was another story that came out in the news that people were, the, who were getting the dip tip shot, they did a survey. This is a peer reviewed study. They did a survey of the people who got the dip, uh, dip tip shot, which is, uh, includes whooping cough. You know, several different vaccinations at one time. The people compared to the people who did not get the vaccination, in other words, people who got the vaccination compared to the people who did get the vaccination and, and following their health for a period of, you know, at least five years found that the people who got the vaccination were 15 times more likely to be infected by whooping cough than those people who never got any vaccination whatsoever. How could that possibly be? That would just shatter our faith in vaccination. Should. So most people will never hear this. It will never appear on most of the news stations or be told or anything. Uh, we just had a story that appeared at WKRC in Mount Sterling, Kentucky, where people were getting flu shots. And not just in Kentucky, but in Ohio and Indiana also. And the, evidently the flu shot was not going to work for flu, but it actually infected them with something else because lumps began to show up on their skin. Actually, they received for flu, whooping cough, and hepatitis. So this was a, this was a several different vaccines. But anyway, the, uh, the fact is that lumps began to show up uh, on the people around the infection site and uh, it was a, in some cases, it was more severe infection than others. But they say that some of these lumps might not show up for 
three months that you have to, you know, be because the infection's in there. It just sometimes takes a while to hold on. So what's interesting to me to correlate this to our study on the kingdom of God is that you're literally asking somebody to inject something in you. You're not, you have no guarantee that it's going to do what it says it's going to do. You have no guarantee that it's not going to do something that it doesn't even tell you it's going to do, like cause sterility for half a million kids. It doesn't doesn't tell you that, you know, by the way, this won't work, but you may start developing lumps in your arm afterwards. Let us know if you do. <laughs> of course, they don't even tell you that. You'd have to see the news report. And, of course, it's not vogue now to show the failures of vaccines. I mean, you can go on the CDC site and read that most of the polio in Syria, most of the polio in Congo is coming from the vaccine. It's not coming from a wild virus. It's actually infecting people. But they're not going to tell you that. I mean, they do tell you that. They publish it. They publish it in the CDC reports. But you have to go there and find it. Your newsmen are not going to find it for you. Uh, they're not going to tell you because it's not an in thing to do to tell you that vaccines might actually cause more trouble than they're worth. Because that's not where the money's at. So, anyway, what's being injected into your thinking? I had some conversations this week with some people who were talking about church doctrines and being saved and, you know, what it takes to be saved and... uh you know, what God, you know, what Christ was expecting of us, you know, and uh, I quote here, they, some will tell you that we are saved because we believe in Jesus, not because we believe in the right doctrine. Well, you know, that that could be true. But what does it mean to believe in Jesus? They also say Jesus saved the whole town of the Samaritans in John 4 because they believed. That's an interpretation of that statement. It says the people in in, in the Samaritan town were saved. But it doesn't really say that 100% of the people in the town were saved. Salvation isn't a collective thing. You know, like you get... You get membership in this group. You join this church and you will be saved because you're a member of our temporal organization. No, it doesn't work that way. Christ said that he would build his church upon this revelation that Peter received, not by flesh and blood, but by revelation. And revelation of what? The Holy Spirit. And you can go to our article on Holy Spirit and read all about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was around in the Old Testament. It, it's not just a New Testament thing. It's an Old Testament thing as well. And uh, it, it, it is the Spirit of God dwelling in us, working in us, t- tapping into us or us tapping into it. I, I would prefer to say it tapping into us because the Holy Spirit listeth where it will. It's not like you're going to conjure up the Holy Spirit with a particular formula of thinking or actions or anything like that. That's that's witchcraft. The what they would call the uh, Rosh HaKadosh uh, in David, who speaks of the Holy Spirit. 
this is you know and and you know when even when I say the Holy Spirit, I mean are you picturing a dove? Are you picturing a ghostly thing? I mean I'm using several different words to talk about the Holy Spirit. You what do you think when I say holy? What do you think when I say spirit? Are you thinking a ghost? Are you think what what are you, are you thinking of pattern? That I talk about spiritual DNA that, you know, in our bodies, in that the viruses in the vaccination that you you get, there are lumps of molecules hooked together in a particular pattern and they produce antigens. What what a vaccine is doing is it it's taking part of the disease that you don't want to get and it's injecting it into your body your body sees that this is a foreign agent and so your body produces antigens to recognize this so that your body will destroy or defend itself from this virus if the virus actually gets into you so they disinject part of the virus so that your body's immune system will stimulate itself to protect the whole body that's that's what a vaccine's supposed to do but it does this with patterns of molecules dna strands of the original virus that they put into you and your body's doing huge calculations and and uh, organizing itself to fight off this virus and you're completely unaware of it it's all going on in the millions and millions of cells in your body and you're unaware of it and if you have a robust immune system it does it really well those patterns you know when i talk about spiritual dna we have an article on that at preparing you the spiritual dna uh is a pattern of the spirit you know christ the, the christianity was called the way because there was a pattern to the way of christ there was a pattern to the righteousness of God. And when it's a spiritual pattern, it is it is fundamental. Just like when you speak and you say words, it, which is an amazing idea of speaking, where you pronounce these different words and they have different meanings and you're, you're hearing me say the words and your brain is putting together sentences. Every single word that you hear or decipher from my speech is coming from a pattern. There's patterns of speech. Somebody just posted one of the articles we have on forgiveness because somebody took the Greek... I, I saw a preacher do this years ago, a Scottish preacher, where he took the statement of Christ where he says, forgive them for... where it says normally, forgive them for they know not what they do. He retranslated that to say, forgive them not for they know what they do. And that, that's a completely different statement. He took the same Greek and he moved the words around so it said, forgive them not for they know what they do. And of course, this particular individual was rather anti-Semitic. And so that he's saying, don't forgive the Jews because they know what they do until they repent. We don't forgive them. Well, the apostles were all Jews. Jesus was a Jew. It was really a very small group of people that wanted to crucify Christ. It wasn't put to the general population. We know the general population had already hailed Jesus as king, hail, highest son of David. 
But this was a group of a hierarchy in political power, most of them Pharisees, but not all of them Pharisees. But, it, I mean, it's kind of like, they were impeaching Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's what they were doing. They were saying, this idea of him casting out the porters of the temple, which we call money changers, they actually had a function in the temple, and only the king could fire the porters of the temple. You can go back to David. David could do it. Before David, Samuel could reject the porters of the temple. You know, the high priest could uh, reject the, the porters of the temple, but he couldn't really fire them. But the King David, he could act as chief executive officer. He could fire the money changers, the porters of the temple. And that's what Jesus was doing. Well, they considered that an impeachable offense. <laughs> so they wanted Jesus removed as the king of Jerusalem. Because that's what he was. He was hailed as, there was no king in Jerusalem except for Jesus. There hadn't been any king in Jerusalem, not any real king in Jerusalem since Herod the Great had died way back when Jesus was a small boy. This was a big thing, trying to figure out who was, should be king. Because the kingdom was divided into three parts. You don't know that. Your preachers aren't telling you that. They're not showing you the patterns in history. So they are also not showing you the patterns in Christ. Now they're saying be nice people and nice guys and, you know, pat each other on the head and hug each other and, and sit in the pew and love each other. But that's not the pattern that Christ gave us. Pat- the pattern that Christ gave us is that, and John the Baptist had given us, we have to take care of all the social welfare of a body of people, not really a body in the sense of a corporation, but a free assembly of people. We have to take care of their social welfare needs through charity, not through force. That was, that was the whole message of John the Baptist. Everybody else was doing it by force, but John the Baptist said, no, you do it with free will offerings. You do it through charity, which is what Christ said, which is what Moses said. And that's a pattern. That's a, you can't do that without the spiritual pattern of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You won't be able to do that. You won't be able to forgive. Remember, Jesus, the same guy who said, forgive so that you can be forgiven. So that my Father will for. If you don't forgive, he says, neither will my Father forgive you. That makes forgiveness really important. And here you have this preacher saying, no, Jesus said, forgive them not, for they know not what they, for they know what they do. That's not what he said. And, and on our page, uh, on that subject, it was somebody was sharing on Facebook. You can go to preparing you, you see an article you like, share it on Twitter, share it on Facebook, share it on Pinterest, share it on whatever you can share it on. I don't know how all that works. You guys do it. Your job is to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, I'm doing it the best I can, but I'm one person. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. It's not one guy. It's not one chief executive officer who runs things for everybody else. You want your God-given rights back, you have to take your responsibilities back. And that's what... When The more you take back your responsibilities to hear the cries of your neighbor, the more Christ will hear your cries. The more the Holy Ghost will be drawn to you to alter your personal spiritual DNA. The Holy Spirit will inject himself into you to order 
not only your spiritual DNA, but even your physical DNA. It It is a healing, powerful spirit of life, eternal life they talk about. We have another article up on eternal life. You can go to preparingyou.com and, and read these articles. And with lots of them, we're putting in audios so that you can listen to them. And uh, we would do a lot more if we had a lot more help. But that's up to you. We want you to follow the Holy Spirit and do what you're, you should, you feel you should be doing based on that Holy Spirit. But this was another question that came up. How do you know you're following the Holy Spirit? You know, because, you know, these people who teach uh, different religious doctrines, you know, 40,000 different denominations, they have lots of different ideas. And some of those ideas have to be contrary to Christ, have to therefore be contrary to the Holy Spirit. And and one individual said, not one of us has a perfect doctrine or the perfect truth. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus says, whoever believes in the one who sent him, which is the Father, is saved and will not be judged because they have crossed over. Supposedly, that's that was his, I think he's trying to quote from the Bible, but I'm not sure what translation he was using. Have you really crossed over? Do you really believe in the Father or do you believe in an image of the Father? Do you believe in an image of Christ that you've created in your own mind? If you look up the word imagination in the Bible, you'll find all sorts of quotes that warn you about the wickedness of man's imagination and and the ability for evil to manipulate the imagination of man. And that this is the problem. So how do you know that the Jesus that you believe in, that the God the Father that you believe in, is really the God the Father? That's a pretty important question. And everybody should be willing to examine and look at that. Nobody should assume that, yeah, I love Jesus. No, I really love Jesus. And so therefore... I'm okay. I'm saved. You should all, I mean, all the apostles, all of the writers in the New Testament, Jesus Christ himself, are warning you constantly. Many will think they're coming in my name and I know them not. They're actually even workers of iniquity. But they think they're saved. They think they believe in Jesus. The same as the Pharisees thought they believed in Moses. But if they really believed in Moses, they would have recognized Christ. But instead, they were trying to impeach him and drive him out of the office of king, the chief executive officer of Israel, and even have him crucified. But we'll talk about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom and take a look at, are we supposed to believe in the doctrines of Jesus or the doctrines of religions? Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, what is uh, what is the doctrines of Jesus compared to the doctrines of modern religion? You know, I, when years ago somebody wanted us to to write up basically uh, tenets of our faith at His Holy Church. Well, the tenets of our faith are already written up by Jesus Christ. I mean, our doctor, if the church, if we're a part of whatever His Holy Church is, just that phrase. It's his because it belongs to Christ. It is holy if it is following what Christ said. Christ said to be in the world but not of the world. In other words, to be separate from the world. 
And so the ministers of his holy church, his holy called out, that's what church means, is called out, need to be separate from the world. So we strive to do that according to the way in which we have looked both at the actual events around Christ's life, the events of the early church, the history of the early church. We've gone back to the beginning and tried to do it the way they were doing it. And then look at that time and look at the time that we're in and try to do it the same way and try to understand why Christ said to do it in particular ways. He gave very specific instructions to his apostles to do things in certain ways and to follow certain patterns. Again, here's that pattern. Now, these are, you can imitate, imitate those patterns in the physical world, but you need to have the spiritual patterns of the Holy Spirit in you. That, that needs to be the comforter, the guide. You need to walk with that spirit. So, in the process of trying to fit into a, a system of actions and behaviors in the world today that are the same as back then at the time of Christ in the early church, we've come face to face often with our own shortcomings. And we have to overcome them. So the journey to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God should bring you face to face with your own unrighteousness, your own selfishness, your own avarice, your own greed, your own uh, unforgiveness. And then you have to learn how to forgive. And with the comfort of the Holy Spirit taking us by the hand and walking us through the valley of the shadow of death, we we hopefully grow in that spirit and learn to do. This is why Christ said it was so important that you be a doer of the word. Not just a hearer only. You know, but you had to be a doer of the word. He talks about many will say, Lord, Lord, but they, they're actually workers of iniquity. They don't even know me. They're not, they're doing the opposite of what I am saying to do. So when we look at the doctrines of Christ, what Christ actually said, when I look at the doctrines of a lot of other churches, I see, you know, I can read line after line after line, and a lot of them, you know, they don't even mention Jesus' words 10-20% of the time. So what's all that other 80% of the stuff? Didn't Christ say it clear enough? Shouldn't the doctrines of his church be his doctrines? What he actually said. And so that's our policy. If he didn't say it, it's not a doctrine of the church. It doesn't mean you can't do it or that you have to do something. We don't know. Hopefully the Holy Spirit will lead you. But it can't be a doctrine of his church unless it's his doctrine. Unless he said it. I see a lot of people saying, oh no, you guys have it wrong. You should be doing it this way or you should be doing it that way over here. And, you know, and I said, did Jesus say to do it that way? Yeah, that's what he wants you to do. Where did he say to do it? Well, I don't, I don't know, but that's the way you have to do it. But he didn't say we had to do it that way. What's, did he forget to mention this? <laughs> It's really simple. It's not a doctrine of his church, his called 
called out unless he taught it. Now, that doesn't mean if you follow everything that we repeat that Jesus said that somehow you're saved. No, you're saved by grace. There's no formula, you know, you can't, you know, like 10-step plan to salvation, although we could write a 10-step plan up. The reality is you can't follow what Christ wants you to do unless Christ is in you. you you're just not that good. You you will fall short. And that's, of course, what was happening to the Pharisees. They were, they had a lot of great ideas and they great, you know, uh, talked about, you know, uh, many great things and everything. But they, they missed basic fundamentals of the Old Testament. They just forgot all about them. The fact that you were to take care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society through free will offerings. They decided, no, let's do it through taxation, through forced offerings. Compel the offerings of the people. Of course, they couldn't just do that. They had to get the people to sign up in a system of Corbin, which is a system of sacrifice. That's what Corbin means. And then everybody had to pay in. And those funds would go into the uh, synagogues. Synagogues were ten men, ten families. And there were just a whole network of synagogues all the way up to the temple, like, like there had been since Moses, or in the similar pattern that there had been since Moses, but a different spirit because they added something to the pattern. They added force. They were going to force the offerings. Once you signed up, you were expected to give in 10%. And if you didn't, somebody was at your house pacing off your field and saying, we didn't get enough grain from you. You grew more grain than this. You, you didn't break off enough of your Cummings branches to give to us. You know, the, the, that, that was the joke about it. It's almost a joke. Your Cummings plants, they would grow them in little, like, planters in their windowsill. And it was like a seasoning spice kind of thing that they would use. And you could break off little branches. Well, 10% of those branches, if you were signed up with the temple, 10% of those branches belonged to the temple. <laughs> so... So, uh, they, they were being picky about that stuff, but they were forgetting the weightier matters. And Christ condemned them for this. But he condemned their Corbin. Their Corbin was making the word of God to none effect because their Corbin was forced offerings. I had this conversation with my grandson. Uh, just, you know, I, I was explaining to him what Corbin was. And I, I wasn't giving it away. I was just saying that, you know, you sign up. And then you had to sacrifice into the temple, you know, because you were in this network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. And you had to pay in 10% of whatever you produced into that system. And you didn't have a lot of choices about it. You couldn't really impeach the high priest. You couldn't impeach the porters of the temple who were receiving this, they were the money changers, but they were the porters of the temple. That's what the porters did, was they would receive your offerings and turn them into deposits to be put in the royal treasury, which we see Jesus in the royal treasury instructing the ministers. Well, what the heck is this itinerant, sandaled, long-haired preacher doing out there telling them what to do in the, the royal treasury? Well, he's king. So he gets to go into the royal treasury and tell them how to do things. And order them that they they can't move vessels around in the temple. What what is that? What what was in those vessels? 
You know, Jesus is ordering them not to move these vessels around in the temple. Well, there, there's a couple different interpretations. You know, this, um, I've looked at some of the uh, uh, Hebrew interpretation of the vessels. They actually said they were they, they meant weapons, not vessels. But there's a good argument that they are vessels. But in what was in the vessels? Coins. Gold and silver coins. Denarii. Whatever. That were in those vessels. And there's an accounting process. There's the, all these chambers. There's a royal treasury. He, you can't move this stuff around anymore. We want to take see what you got in here. <laughs> so It goes on all the time. You know, I mean, this whole thing. We saw the State of the Union address this week. Uh from the President of the United States, uh, Donald Trump. And, you know, I actually watched it, and uh, or listened to it. Some, I couldn't sit, sit around and watch it all, but I listened to it. And, you know, his jobs are up, wages for uh, poor people are up, uh, more people off of welfare, more people off of uh, unemployment, uh, companies are being built, uh, stock market's up, all these things are good, 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 good. And so you got more people bailing out the ship of state. And so everybody thought this is really positive and really good. And it really was. It was a pretty good speech as speeches go. Of course, if you hate him, it was a terrible speech. But that's because your your view is, you know, invested in hate, you know, and so you're not going to see things. But what did they miss from a kingdom point of view? Well, they got a lot more people bailing, but nobody's fixing the leaks. <laughs> the, the ship is still taking on water. The debt is still going up. And you're still in a lot of trouble. And then I heard them talking about giving a million, to, oh, not a million, I guess hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars to this and to that and to the other thing. Where are they getting that? They're forcing the contributions of the people. And then they redistribute the wealth. That's completely diametrically opposed to the kingdom of God. It is not diametrically opposed to the kingdom of Caesar. It was diametrically opposed to the original Libera Res Publica, the Republic of Rome. Originally, the Republic of Rome mostly depended upon free will offerings and voluntary military. I mean, literally, when you joined the military, you had to bring your own sword, your own spear. Your own shield, all this stuff. It wasn't until uh, just shortly before the first Caesar that the military of Rome finally became an actual professional army that was paid for by the government. And, you know, I, I'm really fond of pointing out during World War One when they needed ambulances over there in Europe, the people donated enough money to buy 2,000 ambulances and pay the drivers. It wasn't from the government. It was the people. And the same as I point out that the public schools in the days of Jefferson were built by the militia. They weren't tax dollars. It was voluntary people building the schools, hiring the teachers, paying for the teachers. That was called a public school. It wasn't tax dollars. This idea of forcing your neighbor to contribute to what you think we need to have is a poison to liberty in the land. And it has already been injected into your minds. And you have been contaminated with a 
thought pattern that is taking away your liberty. And so now you're fighting to get your liberties back. You don't have to fight to get your liberty back. You just have to take back your responsibilities. And you have to do it in a righteous way. You know, you have to start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity instead of fealty, force, and violence. That's It's, it's that simple. That's the message of Christ. That's the doctrines of Christ. That's what he said. And if you don't want to do that, guess what? You're probably not saved. If you want to keep coveting your neighbor's goods to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other, you are doing contrary to the doctrines of Jesus Christ. I, I just quoted the Bible. I just quoted Christ. He said you're not to be that way like the other governments of the world, the Gentiles, the kings, the princes of the world who exercise authority one over the other, they call themselves benefactors, they're going to give you all these benefits, but it's not to be that way with you. If it is that way with you, you're not yet a Christian. You can turn around your thinking now and start heading towards true Christianity, and then, guess what? When you really do that sincerely, willing to face your own selfishness, your own vanity, your own imagination, then you will start to change. And you will be changed because the Holy Spirit will start to enter into you. The real Holy Spirit. Not the emotional Holy Spirit that most people imagine to be the Holy Spirit. It's, you know, they get all emotional and they get all worked up and they get, and they actually, they get all this energy coming out and everything. And they think that's the Holy Spirit. You can, you can go down to Haiti and, and uh, see the you know witch doctors and and people doing the same thing. It it's not the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit, all right, but it's it's not the Holy Spirit, capital H O L Y Holy Spirit. <laughs> so anyway, another thing that came up in the news, and I'll I'll try to equate this also with the Kingdom of God. Is Glenn Beck has been investigating this whole Ukraine thing. You can go look up Glenn Beck. Um, and the funny thing is, he's not even an investigative reporter. He's he's a commentary guy, and you know he's he's prejudiced. I mean, he's he's biased in some degree, but he's often honest. And you know that's the thing is, you sh- if you're just listening to CNN and MSNBC and stuff like that, you need to listen to a few other people too. <laughs> you know, get other opinions. And don't just stay in your bubble. If you're only listening to Glenn Beck or Rush Limbaugh or some of these other guys on the conservative side or only uh, Fox News or whatever, you should listen to the other side a little bit. You know, not that they're right. Sometimes it's very painful, but you should listen to the other side to kind of get a balance because you'll pick up. And another thing I suggest sometimes is to listen to the European news. Because European news, not that they're all honest either, but they're showing you from a different perspective. Mostly you should be listening to the Keys of the Kingdom. We have hundreds and hundreds of recordings and go back and start seeing how these things, you know, this pattern. See if you can't start seeing this pattern of the kingdom. But anyway, Glenn Beck was investigating the Ukraine thing and he talks about this uh, Kalamoski uh, guy who was the head of Burisma and he was also head one of the founders of uh, Pravat, 
the State Bank, which is the bank in the Ukraine. And this guy is evidently kind of a mafia kind of, uh, you know, slit your throat, cut your head off kind of guy. And uh, uh, the bank was nationalized. The private bank was nationalized. But $1.8 billion, that's a serious amount of money, uh, $1.8 billion of the U.S. taxpayers' funds, supposedly, you know, in the form of credits, <laughs> went into uh, the Pravat Bank and disappeared. And they believe, at least this way Glenn Beck puts it, that it was used to finance an army to ward off the uh, Russians in this one province where uh, Kolomeski was made governor. Uh, by the former leader of the Ukraine. It, there's, I have some problems with that, but it was very interesting if you do watch his special on this, which is something final chapter, Ukraine final chapter or something, you can probably Google it and find it. He talks about the timeline, and the timeline was fascinating. I think there's a lot more going on in the U.S. government than we're seeing in the news. And certainly, depending on which news program you're watching, <laughs> you won't see a huge amount of what's going on. But that's the way that government operates. It has a central, you know, executive officer. It has other branches of government, you know, like the legislature. That's one branch. And then they have the judiciary. That's another branch. And, and I always talk about the fourth branch of government, which is the people. Because it's supposed to be a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. If you're only looking at those three branches, where do the people come in? Yeah, they can vote, but, uh, you know, if you look at some of the caucuses, I'm not even sure that that's a very good way of going about it. But the reality is, it says right in the amendments, you know, somebody said, if you just learn seven of the amendments or something like that, I can't remember what they said exactly, that would be a good thing. But... Your Ninth and Tenth Amendments is saying the powers not given to the federal government still belong to the people or the states. So if some power still belongs to you, you're a part of the government. You're that fourth branch of government. So anyway, uh, in the kingdom of God, you're, you are the government. Because we don't have benefactors who exercise authority. If you go back to the earliest writings about the church, you know, outside of the biblical text, you're, you're actually looking at people who are apologists of the early church in, in hundred years after Christ. You, you're looking at guys like Justin, Justin the martyr, they call him. And he writes about the church meeting, how they have church meetings. And they had church meetings on Sunday. And some people get all worked up about that. And some people use that to defend what they call Sunday worship. You know, somebody was writing me also this week and saying, are you Sabbath keepers? And I pointed out, if you're in debt, you're not a Sabbath keeper. He says, well, you're not answering my question. Yeah, I did. I sent him a link, too, to our article on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is about a way, again, that pattern. It's not about a day. You think you celebrate a particular day, and that makes God happy. That's like thinking that if I pile up rocks and burn up sheep, that will make God happy. If I take dip my fingers in holy water and put a cross on my head, that's going to make God happy. If I take this little wafer of bread and put it on my tongue, I've received Christ. Christ's a lot deeper than that. It's th those are all rituals and ceremonies outside that are symbolic. You you can't you can't get to the kingdom of God with symbols. 
and rituals. That's witchcraft again. You know, like you have some sort of formula that makes God happy. No, God wants to get down to the very depth of your soul and to the depths of your mind. And in order to let God in to be there, you have to wipe away the unforgiveness. You have to let go of the unforgiveness and forgive other people. That's Forgiveness is not absolution. I, I've said that many times. I, I, I don't know if I can say that enough. Forgiveness means you're not going to judge. You're going to leave judgment to God. You're not going to hold resentment, anger, hate towards a particular person because they're not the way you want them to be. Because they did something bad to you. You're going to let that go. When you let that go, that's your road to freedom. If you keep hanging on to this hate and anger and resentment, this is one of the scariest things about all the I hate Trump people. They are setting themselves up and everybody else around them for the worst kind of dictatorial regime you could imagine. The kind of thing that, you know, like Stalin and Mao and all that kind of stuff. Because they're operating from hate. You see it all the time. Uh, not that there aren't hateful people on the right. There are. But you really see it over there on the left. And not that there aren't people over on the left that aren't filled with hate. There are people that are not filled with hate. But still... What what is this whole left right thing? What, what what is that all about? I mean that that was one of the things I looked up a little bit just to get get an idea. I mean people talk about conservative. What's a conservative? It says holding a traditional attitude and value, and cautious about change or innovation, typically in relation to political and religious idea. A conservative is a moderate. Well, change from what? A conservative who has bad ideas is slow to change. A conservative who has good idea, he's slow to change too. Well, that's good. But if he has bad ideas and he's slow to change, that's bad. So, conservative doesn't tell you if somebody is good or bad. It just says they're slow to make changes, specifically in political and religious approaches to life and the world around them. But... When somebody says right, what what does that mean? It, to, to some degree, right means morally correct, just or honorable. What do you think is morally correct, just or honorable? That may vary quite a bit. What's a liberal? You know, it says open to new behaviors or opinions or willing to discard traditional values. If those traditional values are not good values, being willing to discard them is a good thing. I love to meet a liberal cannibal who wants to discard the idea of eating other people. <laughs> so what is a liberal, a, a socialist liberal, somebody who's willing to discard the idea of socialism? If they're willing to discard the idea of socialism that they grew up with, like public schools, public health, all these things, those are socialist programs. If they're willing to discard those ideas, they're liberal. They're becoming what we call conservative. They're moving to the right. (laughs) But they're liberals because they're willing to look at things anew and change their behavior. Now, they want to change their behavior to go away from 
allowing their neighbor freedom to a place where they take away the freedom of their neighbor and covet their neighbor's good through socialist, you know, programs and schemes and, and, and systems. Well, they're willing to change, so they're liberal too. They're going in opposite directions, but they're both liberal. So liberal doesn't tell you if somebody's right or wrong. And so what is it to be on the left? You know, we, we talk about, see, this is the thing. If we are on a round planet, like most people believe, <laughs> the farther to the right you get, the more likely you will end up on the left. And the farther to the left you go, the more likely you'll end up on the right. That's just, we're on a round planet. That's the way it goes. Well, it actually is that way because it's a pendulum thing. What you want, you don't want to be on the left or the right. You don't want to necessarily be a liberal or a conservative. You want to seek righteousness. Righteousness is something, justice. You know, I mean, justice warriors, I, that's why I'm amazed I have a conversation ongoing with somebody who thinks he's a social justice warrior on Facebook. He is, you know, he's just blind, blind to the truth. And it's, it's a hate anger blinds him. And you point it out and he can't see it. He doesn't think he's hateful or angry. He thinks, I'm just pointing out the evils of the world. He never offers the right way to go. He never talks about that. It's just everything has to be evil upon evil upon evil. He's lost in his anger. But anyway, we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, I want to encourage everybody to join the network. And the network is just, its if you're listening on the Internet now, you probably have email and Go to preparingyou.com or even hisholychurch.org. Eventually, it'll take you to preparingyou.com and join the network. That means join an email group in your area so that you can start gathering together and working together with other people because learning to care about other people as much as you care about yourself is essential to seeking the kingdom. The reason we have lost freedom over the centuries Israel was a free nation. It went into captivity. It went into bondage. The reason it did is because it became, the individuals became less and less concerned about the, the justice for others. That what Christ calls the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Christ calls those things the weightier matters. So if you're a Christian and you're following Christ, and you're following the doctrines of Christ, what Christ taught, you need to be concerned about the weightier matters of law, of justice, of mercy, of faith. So anytime anybody is being unjustly treated, you need to be concerned. You need to hear their cries and come to their aid. And you should do it in a wise and effective way. And this is what the early church was doing. They were persecuted. They were persecuted during a time where their, you know, where the stock market was crashing and, and food was in short supply and disease was rampant and there was no vaccination to save them. And if there was, it probably would have made them sick. Uh, but the reality is they had another way. That's what the Christianity was called. The way it was a different way of dealing with life's traumas and difficulties, both on a national and international basis, but also on an individual and family basis. 
trauma in your life, in your children's lives, in your grandchildren's life, in your nieces and nephews' life. Trauma is etching its way into the very soul of your children. This is why most of the kids coming out of high school think socialism is good. They have been brainwashed. They have been injected with an idea and philosophies without knowing the repercussions, without knowing the damage that it may be causing. And you can't just change that by making an announcement, socialism bad. (laughs) Socialism is a covetous system by its nature. It is a covetous system where you desire benefits at the expense of others. And you want to depend for your livelihood on the property of others. This will bring in dictators. This is not a new idea. This was around a 100 years before John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. It was published in one of the most publicized books of its time. It was well understood that if you go this way, that's what's going to happen. You're going to end up with dictators, despots, tyrants, and you're going to cry out. You can go all the way back to thousands of years before and listen to Samuel and Samuel 8, and he tells you the same thing. So it's not new. It may be new to you, and it's certainly new to all these kids coming out of high school and college thinking socialism is good. They don't understand what it leads to. They don't understand why it leads to that. Most Christians do not understand how they have already become socialists because the ideas have crept in when they were unawares. That, that's, that's a key element to how we have descended. Of course, you have to be humble enough to admit that we screwed up. The Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. Another way to say that, because the word Corbin, as I said earlier in the show, means sacrifice. The sacrifice of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. Why? Because the sacrifices of the Pharisees was not like the sacrifices that Moses talked about. Because Moses talked about free will offerings. That's not what they were doing at the time of Jesus Christ amongst the Pharisees. They were forced offerings. Everybody was using force. The Romans were using force. They used to use free will offerings. But at that time, they were using forced offerings. The Corinthians were using forced offerings. Back in the Peloponnesian Wars, the Corinthians were not using forced offerings. They were using free will offerings. But that changed. And everybody was becoming accustomed to living at the expense of others to get their food stamps, their welfare, their tessera clay coin that got them free bread from Rome and free bread from Herod. They got these free bread because they were members of this, this temple of Saturn or the temple of, of uh, Jerusalem or the temple of Roma, also built by Herod. They were getting their welfare from these, these temples, these government temples. But the supplies that were provided were provided by forced offerings. John the Baptist said, no. Do it by free will offerings. Do it not only with coat and shelter, and but with the meats, with food. 
That's just the difference between Christ and the rest of the world. This is the doctrines of Christ. If you don't have those doctrines, why do you think that that feeling you have is the Holy Spirit? If you can't accept that basic thing of living by faith, hope, and charity. And we say that, but that's not what we're doing. So we need to turn around and do something different than what we've been doing. (laughs) Because what we've been doing isn't what Christ said to do. We aren't following Christ. We need to turn around and go the other way. And that way is the way of Christianity. And this is what we try to show people. So, as I said, doctrines mean someone who teaches. There's something that someone teaches. That's his doctrine. Doctrine means teachings. So the teachings of Jesus Christ who said we aren't to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. It is not to be that way with us. We're not supposed to be doing that. But all these people who think they're saved think they're doing great things in the name of Christ who have these big churches. They're actually workers of iniquity because they're still coveting their neighbor's goods. I mean, you wouldn't think that somebody was saved if they were murdering, if they were robbing with violence, you know, beating old women and stealing their money and raping people and killing people. You would think, well, that person's not saved, right? But he can covet his neighbor's goods and send somebody else to your neighbor's house to beat them up and to take from them. And I'm not saying it's stealing. I'm saying it's coveting. It's not, you know, taxation is not theft. Taxation is absolutely justified for everybody whose desired benefits at the expense of their neighbor. Because as you judge, so shall you be judged. So if you say it's okay to take from your neighbor, then it's okay to take from you. Taxation is not theft. Taxation is almost always covetousness. Somebody wants you to pay for something else. Now, there are other things. Like if somebody built a harbor and you wanted to pull up to that harbor because it was going to save you a lot of trouble getting stuff ashore and getting stuff loaded onto your boat, you've got to pay a fee. You can call that a tax, but it's also a fee. It's a use fee. That's reasonable. And so is... You know, if you say, well, will you take care of my kids' education, my health care? If something happens to me, I want you to take care of my kids, aid to dependent children. I want you to take care of my wife and get she gets a Social Security check and all If something happens to me and they, they say, okay, we'll do that, but then you have to sign this agreement and then we'll give you a number and then you have to pay in. And you say, okay. Well, okay. That's not theft. You, you, it may be a bad deal. Because they started out like one and a half percent. <laughs> That's what you had to pay. <laughs> and, and you had to make what would be equivalent to like a couple hundred thousand dollars before you even got any income tax. So, I mean, you didn't even notice that. I mean, most people were making maybe a thousand dollars a year, two thousand dollars a year. You could buy a house for a couple thousand dollars and back in those days. So, you didn't have to pay any income tax. You only had one and a half percent social security tax. And you said, this is a good deal. Yeah, it was. Except the deal says that they can up it. (laughs) They can go up to 5%, 7%, 14%. They can keep on going up. As a matter of fact, they can keep going up and they don't have to get, they can take away the benefits. That's what it says. I mean, you didn't read it. Okay, I get it. Okay, but that's what it says. That's what I'm saying, that they write down 
You know, you go to CDC, they tell you, most of the polio in Syria is caused by the vaccine. <laughs> As a matter of fact, they, I think they said all of it. And I've actually seen other, you know, testimony in the in Congress and CDC that many of the things that we think are curing diseases are actually perpetuating diseases. And I've seen a few reporters come out with those stories. And then I haven't heard from those reporters again. <laughs> I guess that's, they don't want those stories coming out. So I don't know what's going to happen to me. I have to just depend upon the Holy Spirit. But you need to care. If you hear something that may save you, great. But if you don't turn around and turn it into action to help save others, not so great. Because you're blocking the Holy Spirit. Because that, that isn't in the nature of Christ. The nature of Christ is to come and to sacrifice himself for others. To lay down his life for others. If you're not gathering in your church meetings to lay down your life for others, to sacrifice for others, to care for others, to give life where there is a loss of life or a diminishing of life. If you're not there to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, you're not in a Christian church. That church is not doing what Christ said. You're not following Christ. That's hard for some people to accept, but that's the way it is. You know, when I I mentioned Justin the Martyr in the earlier part of the show, who was this apologist, he wrote a number of letters to the different Caesars. Antonius Pius was one of the Caesars he wrote to, who was the Emperor of Rome. And Antonius Pius was actually training Marcus Aurelius when Marcus Aurelius was younger. But he wrote to him, and his first letters were fairly well accepted uh, by the emperor. But he was explaining how the church operated. Now, the church, again, is not like your church on the street corner. It doesn't operate like that. The church isn't even a, a building. It's not really even an institution. It's a called out. That's what... The word church means, the ecclesia means the called out. So Christ called out certain people, gave them certain instructions, which are clearly written in the text, which most people who claim to be ministers never read, never look at, never consider, but it's there. It's the doctrines of Christ. It's what he said. You can't be one of my disciple ministers, one of my called out, unless you do Dot, 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 dot. What, is, what did he say? If you don't know, you should find out. We, we tell people regularly. But anyway, Justin the Martyr is talking about their meetings and explaining it to the emperor of Rome. And, and see, Christians weren't signing up with the Roman temples, like the Temple of Saturn. They weren't registering their births with the Temple of Saturn. Now, Marcus Aurelius, who came along after Antonius Pius... He made it a law that you had to register the birth of your child within 30 days with the local constabulary. And, of course, they would make a record of that and it would eventually go back to the Temple of Saturn. The Christians wouldn't do this. And so they were, they were terribly persecuted by, uh, by uh, Marcus Aurelius. So what did Justin write? He said, And the wealthy among us help the needy and willing... Give what each thinks fit. Now, this is a translation. So, when he says, and willing give, what he's saying, give a free will offering. 
what each thinks fit, and what is collected is deposited with the president. What is that with Donald Trump? <laughs> no, with the president of that meeting. That's that's a translation again, the word president there. But where does that word president come from? It comes from principas civitas, which is principas first citizen. Well, the head of the meeting was whoever they agreed was the head of the meeting. You picked the head of your, if you sat down in a group of ten families, you picked the minister. He was the president that you picked. He's the first one. And that's because he's your connection to the rest of the kingdom, the rest of the network, the rest of the church. Because he's going to sit down with nine other ministers like himself. But anyway, they call him, this is the way the translation is, there's no point reading it to you in the original Greek. Justin was a Greek scholar. He, he wrote very eloquent Greek. But anyway, that's the word he uses. What they gave, those that had, those that were had extra, which is exactly what John the Baptist said, gave to the president who succors the orphans and widows and those who through sickness or any other cause are in want. And those who are in bonds, in other words, in prison or you know, bound up or somehow or other can't go out and make a living. And even strangers sojourning among us. And in a word, take care of all who are in need. That's that's the operation of the church. That's perfect religion. That's what James calls perfect religion. You do it through free will offerings. If your church, you go and find out how many people are receiving aid... In your church, you know, widows, orphans, aged people, old people, people who might be in jail, <laughs> or maybe they they have some sort of deformity or something. You go count up all the people in your congregation, you find out how much they're getting from the governments of the world, and how much they're getting from your congregation. And if they're getting more from the world than they are getting from your congregation. You, you you find out this week, you find out next week, every week that should go down from what they're receiving from the world. <laughs> now, that's going to take, that's going to be a process, but that's what's called seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God because it is not righteous to covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority. That's why Christ forbid it. That's why Christ condemned the Pharisees because they had created a system of sacrifice, a system of Corbin that was making the word of God to none effect. And not only was it coveting their neighbor's goods, but it caused the people, the men of, you know, the children of the people of the that nation to do no more ought for their parents. They weren't taking care of their parents. They weren't providing for the needs of their parents because they didn't have to. Because the government going to do it for us. Well, that's not the kingdom way. That's not the ways of righteousness. Now, for those people who just turned in and are listening to us for the first time, that's a shocker. And you're going to probably need more proof. If you don't need any more proof, hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Because God is already revealing the truth to you. But if you need more proof, we got it at preparingyou.com and hisholychurch.org. And we'll show you 
This is the way of Christianity. And if you want to go the way of Christ, if you tell me you believe in Christ, but you don't want to go the way that Christ said to go, then you don't really believe in Christ. If you don't do what he says, if you're not seeking to do what he says, if you're not turning around your thinking to think like Christ, you're in need of repentance. Because that's what repentance is. It's thinking a different way. We have to think the way of Christ. So if you're a liberal, you should be willing to make that change. (laughs) If you're a conservative, you might be a little slower to make that change. But if you're a Christian you got to be doing it the way Christ said to do it. You can't be doing it the way somebody else says to do it. I won't name names. I could go down a big long list of ministers who say that all you have to do is this, and all you have to do is that, and all you have to do is join us, and boulder dash. Religion, just 200 years ago, those people who listen regularly, it was the pious performance of your duty to God. And your fellow man. What's your duty to your fellow man? What's your duty to God? Your duty to God is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So therefore you have to seek to do your duty to your fellow man in righteousness. That means you have to take care of your neighbor through faith, hope, and charity. You know, so the government should not, the governments of the world should not be in the charity business at all. But I'm not in charge of the governments of the world. That's not my job. I'm working for Christ. I'm not working for Caesar. If I owe anything to Caesar, I'd be glad to pay it. I'm working for Christ. So that's, that's who's, oh, now, that's why the ministers of Christ had to be separate from the world. When he says separate from the world, he uses the word means constitutional order or system of government. They, could come into the world, they could walk around in Rome, but they were not of Rome. They could not eat at the table of the kings of the world. They could only eat at the table of Christ. They could not eat that which was offered to the systems of the world, like, you know, the benefits coming out of the Temple of Saturn and, and some of these other temples. They They couldn't go and apply at those temples. And we can show you in our article on Christian conflict, you can look that up, at preparing you. This is why Christians were being persecuted because they would not sign up for the social welfare systems of Rome. They wouldn't sign up for the social welfare systems of the Pharisees. This is why they were hated because they had their own system. Well, that system, in order to have it, you can't just be a home church, an isolated little home church and get together and talk about Jesus like you loved him or something, but not actually do what he says. If if you're going to actually follow Christ, you have to, they didn't sit down in the tens. They sit down in the tens, hundreds and thousands. In companies of tens, in companies of a hundred, in companies of a thousand. And they did this by ten men and their families picking a minister. That minister getting together with ten other ministers and picking a minister. And they kept doing this until they had thousands of thousands of people in their network. That operated by faith, hope, and charity. That's the road to freedom. That's the road to righteousness. That's the road to salvation. That's the road you have to turn around and head down. That's what repentance was all about. To go this other way. When you go that way, it opens the door 
to the Holy Spirit, that it may enter into you. Now, this is the metaphysical part. We're supposed to be worshiping God in spirit and in truth. That means in word and deed. And the word represents the spirit, breath. You need breath. You know, if I just move my lips and tense my vocal cords, but don't breathe through the words, you won't hear anything. You have to have air coming out in order to hear something. <laughs> so, but so the word represents the spirit. But the deed represents the truth. And this is faith in action. You have to have faith in action. You cannot, you cannot have faith sitting in the pew. You only have faith when you put it into action. That is abs- this is why Jesus said, not saying, Lord, Lord, but doing the will of the Father. And you won't do it perfectly. Like I said, okay, so your church, 98% of all the welfare in your church is taken care of by men who exercise authority one over the other. You know this church is not a Christian church. It's not his church. It's not doing what he said. So, you go from 98% to 95%. Hey, good deal. Progress. Now you're a progressive. Now you get getting more progressive. You gotta go back more. <laughs> I mean, that's a, a progressive is supposed to be a socialist. Well, progressive doing what? Progressive in coveting your neighbor's goods? Or progressive in not coveting your neighbor's goods, but actually loving your neighbor? Caring about your neighbor. I, I shared on Facebook, you know, I have a Facebook website, or, you know, Facebook page. And I shared on that of John Stossel this week. I've seen it before. But he goes around, and he was interviewing people. And, you know, the people on, and I've seen this myself, personally. I've seen it. I know other people who've seen it, where somebody stands there with a sign saying, I need help, and they get money, and somebody hands them a $10, $2, $3, $5, sometimes they get more. They can make a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars a day. Just sitting there, tax free, by the way. Cash. Sitting there. And they then they go and they go change their coat into a nice coat and get into a nice car and drive to their house. That's actually what happens. Now they're not all like that. Some of the guys live in you know, they camp out and they travel around, but they don't want to work. Most of them don't now there are a few that you could help. But that takes discretion. Charity without discretion is a sin. Because you're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God. You're supposed to be seeking the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. It is not merciful to give a wino a thousand dollars. Chances are you've just killed them. (laughs) A drug addict, a heroin addict. You give them a thousand dollars, you killed them. You know, it's it's astounding that we need to have this other way of looking at stuff. But anyway, so I was reading from Justin the Martyr, and I was telling you some of the things that you know Justin was saying in his apology to Antonius Pius. Now he got in trouble with his next policy, uh, apology because of the fact it went to somebody else. <laughs> so, and they this is at the same time that Marcus Aurelius was deciding that you had to register your birth. And the only reason they're registering births is so to see who is eligible for benefits. That's that's why all the births were registered. In, now, I'm not telling you not to register your birth with the United States. I'm just telling you what's going on, how it works. You, I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm not creating new doctrines. I'm just 
giving you facts and truth. You have to figure out how to apply it in your life. Christ didn't start with, you know, don't get registered. He started with sit down in the tens, hundreds and thousands and start loving one another instead of coveting one another's goods. Start caring. Same word love, same word charity in the Greek. That's where you need to be heading and not be seeking anything but the kingdom. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we were talking about Justin the Martyr and some of the things that uh, he was sharing with us uh, from his early days in um, the church. And uh, he was a convert. Many, most people were converts back in the, those days. And But the ideas that he was accepting were not unique. Like I say, Polybius talked about him. Uh, Plutarch talked about him. Um, numerous people wrote about these ideas. And this was a war going on for the minds of the people. And people were trying to inject ideas into your thinking that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods while other people like Polybius says, well, you can do that, but if you do that, it will lead to tyranny. It will lead to a loss of rights. It will, he said it would actually degenerate you into perfect savages. And I saw a deal early this morning on Facebook where it showed, uh, you know, one of these uh, Second Amendment rallies. And people were going around shaking each other's hands and talking and, and meeting. It was so peaceful and calm and everybody was so... Then they showed this other leftist rally <laughs> with Antifa beating people, throwing stuff at people, fighting and hitting. And I'm thinking, like, everybody's afraid of the Second Amendment people. Why are they... <laughs> It's the, the left that's scary. But not everybody on the left is that way. But the reality is, if you think it's okay to take away from your neighbor so that you can be safer, more secure, more comfortable, and you can take away from your neighbor using force like government power, uh, exercising authority over your neighbor, if you think that's okay... You're just as bad as the Antifa people hitting people and, and throwing stuff at people. You're not going to actually do the violence, but the violence will be done on your behalf to other people. Now, that doesn't, you know, I'm not talking about, again, taxation is not theft. You know, as long as they do it legally, but taxation is the result of covetousness. It is a covetous practice. And Peter says, through covetous practices, you will make yourself merchandise. He says, you'll become a surety for debt. He says, you'll curse your children through these covetous practices. And that's what everybody's done. Now, your preacher down there, and I won't name all of them, but you can go down the list. How many of them will tell you that that's what Peter said? How many of them will tell you that socialism is a covetous practice? How many will tell you that Social Security is a covetous practice? Now, again, seeking the kingdom is turning around your thinking, thinking another way, and pursuing that other way. And Christ spent years teaching the people how to pursue that other way. And even after Christ left and they had 2,000 one day and 3,000 the next day of people changing the way that they were going to live, the way they were going to provide social welfare. That was a process. And that process continued for hundreds of years. And then along came the Church of Constantine, who 
imitated some of the outward signs. He did go back to some degree to the people have to take care of themselves through faith, hope, and charity kind of thing. But he gave them a boost, a jump start, by giving them equivalent to what we would call billions of dollars today in lands and gold and silver and and mostly silver because uh, the gold stayed with the king, but the, he would give the silver to the people. And uh, he jump-started the, the Church of Constantine with these gifts. At that time, there were 12,000 known bishops. They were all ordered to come to his Council of Milan, and only a few hundred showed up. I mean, there's about 319 showed up. But, uh, and I don't know that all of those were bishops. Some of them may have been an entourage. I just can't tell you. I know that the next big meeting they had, only 150 showed up. So this was not most of Christianity. This is a small fraction of Christianity. But if you were to read history, you would think that these were all Christians. They weren't. They, they all were told to get baptized, but they weren't told to repent. And unfortunately today, the modern church is telling people to repent and get baptized, but they're not telling them what repentance looks like. Repentance looks like thinking like Christ. Thinking like the early church. And that thinking of Christ does not include coveting your neighbor's goods. But it does include you helping everybody in your congregation and in other, you have to love the next congregation as much as you love, love your own. It means that you will be taking care of all the orphans, all the widows, all those who are sick or for any other cause or in want. In those who are in bonds and even the strangers sojourning amongst you. Now those strangers may be complete strangers to the network. They may be just people you found that you think you want to help out. But now if you find like some of those people that we saw on John Stossel, or if you haven't seen it, you can go look up John Stossel. And uh, yeah, I'm sure he's got that video available on his feed. But he's he's showing people who, you know, you don't want to help out. You know, if you go back to Ezekiel 16.49, Behold, this was the iniquity of the, of thy sister Sodom. Pride. Everybody thinks they're great and saved and they're the you know, greatest nation in the world. Fullness of bread. Success. All, you know, everybody's back to work and everybody's making more money. Abundance. Yeah, we got abundance. Stock market's zooming up. Idleness was in her. And in her daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. She did not strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. How are you helping somebody out who's just freeloading off the system? 250,000 people on Social Security payments. This is just Social Security payments. This is not welfare, food stamps, and everything else. 250,000 of them are on it because they're addicts. That that's that's a government statistic. That it's over a billion dollars in benefits going out to them. They know many of those benefits are going out to buy drugs or alcohol. That's not a good thing. I mean I know people that are doing that right now. You know, actually they're back in rehab again. But they'll be out. And the fact is is that bureaucrats make poor priests. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, today, your priests make poor priests. 
what you were doing when you were picking one in ten or one in eleven to be your minister, and then he was picking a minister which would make twelve altogether in a network of a hundred families. They were the priests of your society. They were going to help facilitate the taking care of the needy. They're going to say, this person's just being lazy. They don't really need help. They're not really sick. They're faking it. I'm not going to help them. I'm not going to give to them. I'm going to save this money and give to those that are need. And if there's a greater need, I'll tell the people and then they will, you know, hopefully they will share. It's all free will. But this is how a free society operates. If that's not the way your society is operating, you're not free. And you're not going to stay free. As a matter of fact, you're going to go down. There's only one way to go but down. Unless you change your thinking, you're going to go down. Babylon and its benefactors always offer gifts, gratuities, and benefits which reduce the liberty of the people if the people covet those benefits. Because when you covet those benefits, you're coveting your neighbor's goods. You're trying to take away your neighbor's right to give and force your neighbor to give. Well, fair systems of the world and of Babylon often serve the needy without condition, which weakens the poor. This is what we see. You know, you're seeing the, the Blexit, uh, I guess they call it, or Blaxit or whatever they call it, where the a lot of the people in the black community are realizing that all these welfare programs have undermined the family and therefore undermined the black community. And they're saying, no, we need father presence. We need people taking back their responsibilities in order to get their rights back. And so they're going back the other way. And they know that, yeah, we have to be charitable. I mean, conservatives are far more charitable than liberals. You know, your, your left uh, liberal side the Democratic side, if you go do a survey, you'll find much more charity to the needy amongst the conservatives and Republicans than you do amongst the Democrats. I mean, that's just statistics. You can you can look it up yourself. Why is that? Because to the others, they don't do any more uh, for their parents. They don't. They don't need to give to the poor. That's the government's job. You need to think differently. No, if you're going to be a government of the people, for the people, and by the people, you need to take on the responsibility of self-governance. And this is what Christ was teaching the people in the church. That's why the church, still to this day, in Black's Law Dictionary, the church is defined as one form of government. It's a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Yeah, they pick a president. He is the chief executive office of their congregation, only their congregation of ten. But he doesn't have any authority over the people. He only has the authority over what they willingly give. <laughs> Once they give it up to him, it's his job to decide what to do with it. In most churches today, you get a, get a board of directors who are usually composed of the biggest contributors, and they give to the church, and then they run around the table and get to the, and decide how to spend it. Well, they didn't give it away. <laughs> It's very important that when you give it away, you give it away. That That is a very important principle. And I'll show you, forgiveness and giving are opposite sides of the same coin. Just like I always tell you that fear and anger are the opposite sides of the same coin. You know, it's kind of in the inverse side of the same 
operation. So you cannot give, truly give, sincerely give, unless you sincerely forgive. So one of the tests of forgiveness is to give. To see if you really did forgive. <laughs> see? So, you know, it, 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 they're complementary things. It's the same event going on. So, he, he's talking about these, in his apology, he's talking about how they give. They share. And even the poor, they can help each other out. You know, the, the, the wealthy, when they say wealthy, that means those that have share with those that don't have enough. And those that don't have enough try to work things out so that what they do get shared with them stretch longer. You know, one of the horrible things you see, and they've tried to do this with food stamps and stuff, is, you know, like take soda pop off of food stamps, take candy off of food stamps and all that, but they, they resist that. Oh, no, we don't want to do that. Uh, they should only be able to get healthy foods. <laughs> but that would be very limiting. Because I was in a grocery store the other day. I don't get to grocery stores very often. But I actually was in a store waiting for somebody else. And I was walking down the food aisles there. And I was thinking, poison, 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 poison. <laughs> Almost everything they sell is not really good for you. I mean, you can eat it. but And it may sustain you. But there's going to be some health consequences farther down the line. And it's getting worse and worse. I mean, there are some efforts to kind of roll back and get more healthy foods out there in the market. But, boy, it's a struggle. There's an awful lot of poisons out there offered to you as uh, stuff posing as food. So, (laughs) that is not really good for you. But the reality is, is that you should learn how to take care of one another. And what that... the. The poor and the rich become brothers and sisters. They work together on this project of sustaining one another through faith, hope, and charity. You cannot do it any other way. What that happens is that creates bonds in society that become unbreakable. Because they're bonds of love and bonds of charity. They will hold society together. What you have now is everybody for himself. That's why, you know, you look at what's going on in their minds and there's a change in your mind when you are born again to a different way of thinking. And people aren't born again to that different way of thinking enough to really begin the pathway to repentance. Which is why Christ commanded that we sit down in these tens, hundreds, and thousands. He commanded that his disciples make the people sit down in these groups. They didn't have to contribute. He's not going to make them contribute like the governments of the world. But he makes them sit down in the groups. You know, I get people all the time writing me and calling me and they, they want help. And I said, so what congregation? Well, I haven't joined a group or anything. I don't, I don't, I'm not in a, I'm not a big joiner or anything. But I want help. <laughs> well, sorry. I'm not supposed to help you. No, I, I do help people and have helped people many times who weren't. But they need to repent. You have need of repentance. You need to start doing what Christ said. If you're not doing it, if you're not doing what Christ said, after I show you clearly what he said, and you go look up at our Justin the Martyr page, then you're in trouble. It says, therefore, elect for yourselves bishops and deacons worthy of the Lord, men who are meek and not lovers of money. True and approved 
For they also perform, perform for you the ministry of the prophets and the teachers. They, these have to be dedicated, hard-working individuals. Their families have to be in order. This That's actually from the, the Dachi, but I can show you the same thing in, in the epistles. They're telling you. You know, liturgy is actually the Greek word for public service. What happened is about a thousand years ago, that church that was started by Constantine, it finally started getting off the ground, pretty powerful entity. I mean, it, it had sent out its Augustans and all these guys uh, to try to get people in their church and start to, you know, get people over to thinking the way they did, which is more in the line of superstitio, the Latin word superstitio, than the Latin word religiere. Religiere was, you know, like threskia in the Greek. It's how you create those social bonds through faith, hope, and charity. That's that's what you're supposed to be doing in religion. Religion wasn't what you think about God, although that was involved in religion. Religion was the pious performance of a duty to take care of one another, to love one another, which is what Christ commanded us to do. It's not loving one another to send them to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority because what should have been for your welfare it will become a snare and they will become merchandise, which is all in the New Testament. They warn you about this in the New Testament. But the preachers you like to go to, to the big churches and sit there and sing, they're not going to tell you about this. Some of them aren't telling you because they don't know themselves. Because they are under a strong delusion that the Holy Spirit is a feeling. The Holy Spirit is an actual powerful force that enters into you that programs your heart. But it won't do it by force. It won't program your heart by force. You have to allow it. To show you this other way. To comfort you. To guide you in this other This is what walking in the garden was all about. Walking with the Spirit of God. You cannot try to decide for yourself what is good and evil. And certainly not decide for your neighbor what is good and evil. And walk with God. You're running out ahead of the Lord when you do that. you got to... You gotta walk with God. So what happened a thousand years ago is they tried to unify the liturgy. Unify the public service of the people. And that's why, you know, Lady Godiva is on the cover of our free church report because she resisted that. She would not go along with forced offerings to take care of the needy of society. She knew they had to be free will offerings. And she never took her clothes off, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> so anyway, but, she, this was a thousand years ago. That was, not, it had always been around. I mean, Rome was doing it. They were doing it, of course, that was at the demise of the Republic. It killed the Republic to do that. Because the Republic is bound by that systems of charity, by people coming together and, and defending one another against unrighteousness, against robbers and thieves, any enemy. Whether foreign or domestic. Well, one of the great enemies of our time is unforgiveness. One of the great enemies of our time is selfishness. Socialism breeds selfishness. It's not my job. Go to the government. You need help. I don't need, you can see people in China get hit by a car. They got video of this. They get hit by a car. People walk by them. They're laying there in the street. Nobody stops. They say it's because, well, you develop financial responsibility if you help them. Well, yeah, that's kind of built into the system, but that, in their system, but it's only built into their system because 
they're not thinking about one another. Now, there is elements in China that do think about one another. And you find it often amongst the persecuted church. Which Christians are persecuted. People posing as Christians. But actually, if you go over into China, because they actually do help one another. <laughs> not all the Christians there. And, and, and to be fair, many of the Christian churches in America, they have this spirit of Christ starting to dwell in them. But you have to become perfected in Christ. You you have to repent about everything. You have need of repentance. In almost every church, you find these giving people that really want to help people out. And, you know, sometimes the wife is the one who's really giving and serving and everything. But you a lot of times when you find a woman like that, you'll find a husband who is also what he needs to be is rebuking. Because as many as I love, I also rebuke. I will say, you need to shape up. You need to change the way you're thinking. You need to allow God to enter into your heart and change the way you're thinking. So th- this is what Just- Justin was talking about. And this is, of course, why he was persecuted and why Marcus Aurelius. You read, I've got up here on the shelf Mark- the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. That guy sounds like almost a fundamentalist Episcopalian preacher. You know, he talks about a lot of things about responsibility and all this stuff. But it's all within the realm as the state as your father. Christ was saying, no, your father needs to be the spiritual father in heaven. And he has a pattern. He has a, a spiritual DNA that he would wants to write in your heart and in your mind that will alter you and make you a new creature in, in, under his authority. But you may think you've done that already. But if you're still coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority, you have not done that. That is not Christ writing on your heart and mind. Now, he may have written something in there, but you need to clean the whole slate so he can write his whole pattern in your heart and your mind. You need to completely repair yourself or prepare yourself by allowing the Holy Spirit in to repair you according to his design. And what Christ did was he called out some people first, just like Moses called out the Levites first, to start implementing this system of tens, hundreds, and thousands for charity purpose. Now that same system of tens, hundreds, and thousands, which we see Jethro talking about, was also used for justice purposes. And remember, Christ condemned the Pharisees for not attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Certainly, charity is a part of that mercy. And, of course, in order for um, charity to really be a part of mercy, it also has to do it justly. In other words, you don't give to somebody who's lazy. You give them advice to get busy and to, to make use of the gifts that, whatever gifts that God has given them. I mean, I don't care if, you know, I've seen guys who were quadriplegics working every day. Very limited in what they could do, but they were good at organizing. They had great ideas. Their mind was very astute. And they they provided employment for other people. But eventually, hate and resentment was a serious part of his problem. And we could not quite get him over that. Hopefully, his family did when we got him reunited with his family because he was estranged from his family. A lot of anger in the guy. I mean, he'd been crippled since he was eight, just the day before his 18th birthday. <laughs> so, But uh, 
the reality is that we deal with each individual on a soul by soul basis, but we have to deal with them based on this pattern of Christ, of laying down our life so that we may pick up life more abundant. You have to have forgiveness and giving to move in the direction of righteousness and liberty under God. Those are essential. So the idea that, well, the church is, uh, yeah, that's religion. I don't have anything. I just want my rights back. Well, you can't get them back. You cannot, you cannot really physically pull yourself up by the bootstraps, but with the Holy Spirit, you can be pulled up by the bootstraps. But it will require your effort and your humility and your willingness to go the other way. As I said, Justin the Martyr wrote in defense of the Christians' faith to the Roman Emperor Antonius Pius. And we should take those lessons from him that will show us the way to liberty under God. But until then, uh, peace on your house and may God be with you. See you on the network. Join us at preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org and uh, we'll see you there. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.